1: Music, sporting events, two ice hockey rinks, climbing walls built in a grain elevator, a zip line from a giant Labatt's beer can, 120 feet in the air—it's all at Buffalo Riverworks, our downtown waterfront's multi-use facility. I'm Peter Sabota. Fairy tale models, EMDR counting methods, children's games—not really. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Ricky Greenwald, a pioneer of trauma treatment for kids describes the arc of his adventures in learning and developing approaches to treating trauma. Dr. Greenwald describes how requests from practitioners led him to develop scripted interventions and GPS-like rubrics as tools to articulate a repeatable model. This resulted in a practical approach that included what needs to happen in trauma therapy to heal and specifies in order to achieve outcomes. He concludes with recommendations for aspiring trauma therapists. Dr. Ricky Greenwald, PsyD, is founder and executive director of the Trauma Institute and the Child Trauma Institute, affiliate professor at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work, and fellow of the American Psychological Association. Dr. Greenwald was interviewed in April of 2018 by our own Susan Green, LCSW, and clinical associate professor here at the UB School of Social Work. In this podcast, you'll hear Dr. Greenwald refer to GPS, We thought we'd let you know what exactly he meant there. GPS, like the GPS in your car, is useful finding direction. Dr. Greenwald describes GPS in the context of trauma treatment as a way of helping you quickly figure out where you are with a client. And for example, if the treatment's not going well, this will try to tell you why.
2: Ricky, this is Sue Green. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am talking with Dr. Ricky Greenwald. And I have to start by saying that, honestly, Ricky, I think you know this already, but you are what convinced me that the trauma field is what I wanted to stay focused in. Listening to you deliver your curriculum and training in the way that you did in the early 2000s, the way that you talked about it, the way that you connected The frameworks that were already out there has influenced, honestly, my entire career. So it's a privilege for me to be speaking with you today, and I am very excited that many others will be able to hear some of your wisdom. You've been in the fields well over 30 years at this point, and very early in your career, I know that you were... the the child expert in terms of at least in our eyes for eye movement desensitization reprocessing for children. How did you get into
3: EMDR? I learned EMDR in grad school. I was already a trauma therapist. I had been doing structured directive play therapy with children to help them recover from abuse, and it worked. And when I learned EMDR, it was clear to me that this was a much faster and more thorough way of getting the same job done. So I I already had a dissertation lined up, I had my committee, I had my proposal approved, everything was ready to go. And I found myself saying, you know, I'll get this dissertation over with, but what I really wanna do is research on EMDR. And then I said, well, did you hear that? If you know, why am I doing one thing when I really wanna do something else? So I threw out my dissertation started from scratch, did a dissertation on EMDR and children. What I did is I called everybody in the world who I'd heard might be using EMDR with children. I called about 30 people. This was in 92, you know, very early on. Only about a dozen of them actually had a clue. And quite a few of them gave me some good tips on different techniques or experiences or whatever. And then I did some cases, and I did my dissertation on it. It kind of became my mission to develop EMDR for children and to get the word out. Ultimately, I ended up doing a lot of teaching and a lot of supervision. My supervisees were telling me, nobody's explained this to me before. And I found over time that I had actually developed an entire treatment model that I, I called the fairy tale model because I tell a fairy tale to, to teach it. And it's, it's consistent with the other phase models of trauma treatment. What happened is I was one of the first EMDR approved instructors approved by the EMDR International Association. It was Laurel Parnell and myself in 1996 who were the first independent trainers approved after Shapiro sort of gave it over to the EMDR International Association. I used to teach with her book, which is an excellent book, but it was way too dense for, for for people to learn from. So I ended up explaining it my own way and teaching it my own way. I happened to be working at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City when 9-11 came along. And so I ended up doing a lot of work in the school systems post 9-11 in the New York City school systems. And teaching people, not EMDR because that would have taken too long, EMDR is pretty complex, but teaching them how to do child trauma therapy, and we did a bunch of training projects in the New York City school system. It worked out pretty well because the beginner therapists, school counselors, school social workers told me, wow, this is great, it's so good to know what to do. And the really seasoned therapists said, you know, no one's ever told me what to do before. It's kind of odd in our field that you go through all this training and you're still not exactly sure what to do. It's like it's an art. My model was unique in that it included a series of scripted interventions, and it also includes a, a rubric for knowing where you are and whether you've done the job or not. Some people have called it a GPS. You know, you get stuck on the case. You, you do this three-minute consultation following the rubric, and you can see what's covered and what's missing. So what I developed, it's largely translational. There's some original work in there, but obviously uses a lot of what was out there already. But I've developed a model that is replicable. It's not just, here's the theory, now good luck. It's actually replicable. I can teach somebody this week, and next week they can do what I taught them to do. And so I have figured out a way to teach people how to be good trauma therapists. It still helps to be a good therapist. So I had this model that was really working, that was really, you know, I was able to really train people to do good work. And at that point, I didn't want to be just Ricky Greenwald anymore. I didn't want to be the only one teaching the way I was teaching. And so that's when I founded the Child Trauma Institute. It was the year after 9-11. So I guess 2002.
2: And your Trauma Institute, I mean, it, it is still going very strong, correct? I mean, so it's, it's been well over 15 years at this point that you've had the Child Trauma Institute.
3: Yeah, I started it out as a training institute. I thought it was going to get really big really quick because I just thought it would. I had such a great product and, and you know, it would take over the world. But I found that it didn't work that way that, you know, we took on four trainers early on, only kept two of them. It turns out that it takes quite a lot of practice and mentoring and feedback, et cetera, to become one of our trainers, but it takes a lot of work. And so we didn't expand as fast as I thought we would because I was so particular about people doing a really good job, but we did quite a bit of training. I would say about 10 years ago, I was personally on the road about three quarters of the time all over the country. I was in six different countries training and then had children Then I didn't want to be away so much. And so I started to do more therapy. Now I was still doing some training, so I couldn't tell people I'll see you next week. So I started doing intensive therapy, seeing people, you know, for full consecutive days anyway, but, but the, Trauma Institute so it was the Child Trauma Institute and then I did an EMDR training once in Rhode Island and we had just sent our flyer out advertising all our trainings and somebody at the training by the way this is an adult focused EMDR training somebody at the training said oh I got your flyer he said but I threw it out because that's child trauma institute that doesn't have anything to do with me I'm like you're here at my training what are you talking about so we decided to add trauma institute to the name because we, yeah, it started out. It started out as Child Trauma Institute, and um, but we really um, focus on all ages. So we have a clunkier name now: Trauma Institute and Child Trauma Institute. And um, so, yeah, I started doing more therapy, and then somebody wanted to do an internship with me. Um, somebody with twenty years' experience in the field, and. Then somebody else who had a nice job, wanted to work for us. And I told her, you know, I can't even pay you anything like what you're getting now because I don't, you know, I don't really have clients for you. It's just like whoever comes along. She said, yeah, I'm I'm not looking for a better job. I'm looking for a career. I said, all right. (laughs) She then wrote a grant where we were able to provide free therapy to victims of crime locally so to make a long story short we now have a staff of 17 plus about 10 affiliated trainers which is how we started with you know affiliated trainers who who use our curriculum but are independent so yeah we're growing like crazy we've got um, two therapists in buffalo new york area we've got a therapist in north carolina all full-time on staff we've got an office we've got a bunch of therapists in Western Massachusetts, and we're still growing.
2: Can you talk a little bit more about your stage model, the fairy tale model? It's it's something that I teach. It's the one that I choose to teach about, based mm-hmm. on my experience too, Ricky. That uh, the way that you have set it up, it is digestible and usable for the therapist and also the case manager anybody that's working with other in a wanting to be trauma informed and so with that being said because it is a gps and it does allow the user to really meld it to every single case very separately and, and even within a family setting in terms of where the family might be at trauma therapist stage model When you think about big picture right now, what is it that you would say works in regards to helping people heal from their trauma? From your experience, what needs to happen in order for people to heal?
3: Well, the main event is the trauma healing itself. The technical term nowadays is memory reconsolidation, where you take the memory from its sort of frozen, fragmented state where it leads to symptoms, you activate it, you interact with it in such a way that you can kind of digest it, heal it, make it part of the past, something you've grown from. So that's the main event. And there are some really nice methods out there. My favorite is EMDR because it's of the leading well-established methods. It's the best tolerated and it's the most efficient. I'm also a big fan of progressive counting which is newer but has actually compared, it's been matching EMDR in effectiveness and it seems to be even better tolerated and even more efficient. But there are other methods as well. Now, how to get your clients there, that's where the fairytale model comes in or any of the phase models. And as you mentioned, the fairytale model isn't only something to guide a therapist, it's sort of a meta model that specifies an order in which you want a client a client to achieve particular outcomes. And how that gets done, there's a lot of leeway. So, you know, you want the client to understand what's going on with them and how their past trauma and loss experiences affect what's going on with them now. You want clients to have a goal, have something to work towards so they're willing to do the work. You want clients to have a plan of how they're going to do that. So how do you get this stuff? There are a lot of ways to do it. We teach one way, but there are other ways also. Then you want the client to be stable enough and safe enough that they're not further deteriorating while they're doing the therapy. You, you want them to be able to build up their coping skills and behaviors to start working towards their goals as far as they're able to while they're still traumatized. Also, to build up their affect tolerance, so that they're going to be able to do the trauma work without deteriorating. So the fairy tale model, we tell a fairy tale, and it's got all these different elements that correspond to phases of of treatment, phases of recovery, and we use a personal trainer metaphor in terms of how we might guide the client to become motivated enough, safe enough, strong enough that they're likely to do well when it comes to the trauma work. Now, something else that that happened about a dozen years ago is I came across something called the counting method, which apparently was matching EMDR in effectiveness and efficiency. This is only one study, but it was still impressive. While being very simple, it was just, you know, the therapist counts out loud from one to 100 while the client imagines a movie of the, you know, memory from beginning to end and, and clients were getting better. You know, I've, I've been teaching EMDR for a long time. It's expensive. It's resource intensive. It's complex. It's hard for people to get good at. So I tried to find out how to do this counting method and they wouldn't tell me. I asked the guy in new Haven, lead author on the study. I said, can I take a training? Well, we don't have one right now. All right. Can I see your treatment manual? We're revising it. So I couldn't find out how to do it. And then a month or two later, I was teaching a group at a children's hospital in northern Israel. And on the fourth day, normally I would teach a child modified version of prolonged exposure, which is what I taught you 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I had this counting method on my mind. So I, I asked the group, I said, do you mind if I teach you something that I never tried before? They said, sure. You know, it was the fourth day. We, we liked each other by then. I said, all right, but I'm not going to teach you the right way. I'm going to change it to make it better for children. Because I thought one to a hundred, you know, I'm a personal trainer. That's too much too soon. That's going to be overwhelming. Let's just start with a little movie of 10. I'll count from one to 10 out loud while you watch the movie in your mind of the memory from beginning to end. Then next time, 20. Then next time, 30. Next time, 40, et cetera. Well, it worked really well. This counting method was great. I had another group somewhere else the next week. We did it again. Everybody liked it. I was surprised how well it went. Finally, a couple of weeks later, I got the treatment manual. You know, here it is, we revised it, here it is. And that's when I realized how much I'd messed up. I, I thought I was only changing a couple little things, but in the counting method, you only guide the client to watch this movie in their mind during the counting once at the beginning of the session. And then the whole rest of the session, you guide the client on how to talk about what happened in the movie and and their reactions to it, which actually is more like prolonged exposure, which is much slower method and more of an ordeal, harder for clients to tolerate. that has got very high dropout rates. So this is when I realized I had inadvertently developed something. Now, it hasn't been tested, so that's just my opinion. It hasn't been directly compared to the counting method but you know what we kept in progressive counting is just doing these imaginal exposures during during the counting over and over again without making the clients talk about it unless they choose to when
2: you say the movie is it it matched to someone's trauma or loss is is that well yeah you've got to
3: decide what what memory you're working on so this is a, a way to work on a trauma memory right so that if this is a movie It's just somebody coming home from work and putting their stuff away and everything's normal. And then the end of the movie is after the bad part is over. And so the trauma, you're not still in the middle of the trauma you've gotten to the other side. We've done quite a lot of work with this in the last dozen years. We've got two published comparisons with EMDR. I choose EMDR because that's the champ. PC, progressive counting has matched EMDR in effectiveness. It seems to be a little less emotionally intense for clients, not even as difficult as EMDR. And again, EMDR is already better tolerated than the more conventional trauma-focused CBT methods. And then PC has been found to be more efficient than EMDR. Again, EMDR is already more efficient than the other leading brands. We've got data on two more studies, and we haven't crunched the numbers yet, so we'll be doing that in the next few months. But the eyeball is consistent with that. It looks like we're getting about the same results a little faster. With with very very low dropout rates for both, so I'm excited about PC, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is because it's going to be a chance to teach more people the fairy tale model. It takes two thirds the training time as EMDR. Cost is about half because you can have 12 people with a trainer instead of 10. So it's not as resource intensive to learn as EMDR, and it seems to be, for the most part, faster and easier for clients. It's not necessarily better than EMDR. Now and then, you know, EMDR can solve a problem that PC can't solve and vice versa. But I think when our next couple studies come out, assuming that the results are consistent, we're gonna be ready to really ramp out. There'll be a lot more demand for the training and that will be our opportunity to teach a lot of people how to be really good trauma therapists using our treatment model, which is replicable. You know, you can, I can teach it, you can do it. So then in another five or 10 years, when XYZ comes out that beats PC, we've taught a lot of people how to be good trauma therapists. That's that's really my goal.
2: What is so striking about certainly my experience with you too over time is that you allow yourself to be in a position that of not knowing, that certainly you find something that seems to work, it does work, yet you still allow yourself to be open to What else is out there? Mm -hmm. How do you keep that kind of stance anchored for yourself?
3: I know a lot of people are really wedded to their method and they just develop that. And that's not a bad thing. Um, I've published on, I think, six different trauma resolution methods by now. Yeah, I'm best known for EMDR and for PC, but one of my books has prolonged exposure in it. I've co-authored a paper with traumatic incident reduction. I've been doing some work with the flash technique lately. Uh, I don't care you know, if it works. So for me, it's not about this technique or that technique. It's about how do we help therapists to be good clients so that clients can get what they need and heal and move on with their lives. So whatever we can do to make that better, it's just a kind of hacking around and trying things out, which I think a lot of therapists do. I've just systematized it a bit.
2: You are doing a lot of intensive therapy lately. What's that about?
3: Well, I started out doing it because I couldn't see a client next week because I was off training somewhere. And I found that I came to prefer it over other therapy formats. Somebody comes in on Monday morning with a presenting problem, and by Wednesday afternoon or Friday lunchtime or whatever it takes, you're saying, good work, have a good life. So we're working, and not just me, but all our therapists, this is mainly what we're doing now, is working with, their, with clients for full consecutive days, not nine to five. It seems like a lot, and it is a lot, but clients can do it. I don't know why, but they can do it. And here's one way of looking at it. You go to the mechanic. The mechanic says, you know, you're driving with bald tires. That's not a good idea. So tell you what, you come in once a month. Each time you come, I'll change one tire for you. In a few months, you'll be good to go. That would be crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, that's how we operate as a mental health profession. We say, wow, you know, you're, you're suffering, you're at risk, you're, you're out of work or you're out of school, you're at risk of losing your family or whatever it is. So you come for 45 or 50 minutes a week, and in a year or two, We'll have you where you want to be if, by the way, you don't deteriorate while you're waiting to get better. That may have made sense a lot of years ago when therapy was all about gradual insights, coping skills, incremental work. But now that we have trauma healing with these memory reconsolidation methods like EMDR and PC, it doesn't make sense to chop that up into little pieces. And If you ask 100 clients, would you rather achieve your therapy goals next week or next year? I would say about 100 of them will say next week. So not only do you get your treatment results a lot faster, but you're also cutting out most of your dropout rate because life doesn't intervene. You're cutting total treatment hours by about 50% because you don't have to do all the hello and goodbye that takes up so much of every session, and it should. But you know, you, you cut that out. You also won't need most of the coping skills. You know, When you're working an hour a week, you better work on coping skills so your client can hang on while they're waiting to get better. But the best stabilization intervention is trauma healing. That's more stabilizing than so-called stabilization interventions, because when somebody's not traumatized anymore, they're stable. You're cutting out the hellos and goodbyes, you're cutting out most of the coping skills. It's kind of like binge watching a season of a TV show. There's no ads, there's no recaps, it's all progress. We've been doing a lot of intensive therapy, we've been collecting data on it, and there's, even though it's still considered innovative, there is some research on it, and it's pretty clear from all the research that you're getting about the same final results, you're just getting it a lot faster. Yeah, I think this is gonna become one of the standard types of treatment that are available and that are preferred in many situations once we and some others publish enough research on it. That's one of the things we're doing now. You know, we're we're doing a lot of work still with EMDR and PC. We're doing a lot of work with intensive therapy and just trying to continue to develop trauma therapy so that it's more efficient, better tolerated, so more people can get what they need as quickly and effectively as possible.
2: And that's for adults and kids is, is what you're talking about here with yep. intensive
3: therapy? Yep.
2: We've talked about a lot of things, obviously. Would you say you have a current focus?
3: Well, it's kind of all of those things We're I'm really happy that the organization is growing because that allows us to train our staff really well and some will stay with us and we're thrilled about that and some will move on and we're thrilled about that because we really want to get this methodology into the field we want it mainstreamed so as the research accumulates we'll do more and more training and teach it that way so we're really working on developing intensive trauma-focused therapy as a standard of care
2: And so do you have advice for those looking to pursue a clinical career path?
3: I do. A couple of things that I usually advise people. One is to find out what you really care about and pursue that. If you work on things you feel like you should be doing, it doesn't always go so well. I've heard a statistic, I'm not sure it's true, but it probably is, that there are more ABDs than PhDs. In other words, more people that don't finish their dissertation and never get their degree than people who actually did finish their degree. And I think that's partly because life is challenging, but partly also because people pick projects that aren't quite right for them. They do things that they think they're sort of supposed to do. And it's very hard to push yourself through challenges when you're not really inspired. So one piece of advice is to find your passion and pursue that, do the things that you're excited about. That's gonna take you to more places that you're excited. And then the other thing, a lot of times people ask me specifically, they say, you know, I wanna be a trauma specialist and so where should I go? Well, now you can go to UB School of Social Work is a good place to get a trauma-informed professional education. And there may be one or two other schools out there by now as well, but even so, What I really advise people to do is get good generalist training and experience before specializing, because you really want to know what everybody knows before you become an expert in one particular thing. So those are my main pieces of advice.
2: Is there anything else, Ricky, that that you want to add before we sign off?
3: Well... Only that it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we get to do it again before another five years goes by.
2: I know. Well, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've been listening to Dr. Ricky Greenwald discuss intensive trauma treatment on In Social Work.
0: Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on the ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.